With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Lapse Factor Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? You're watching episode 167 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about week three of the Premier Lacrosse League. We have Fridays and Saturdays games that we'll recap here, including Jeff Teat's glorious debut. And then we'll talk a little bit of uh, NCAA transfer news. Rutgers and Villanova have made have made some noise in the transfer portal already here this offseason, so we'll talk about them a little bit. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Two main ways you can help us. Like the video if you're watching on YouTube. Just like it indiscriminately and then share the video with people as well, but you can subscribe. We're trying to get over 10,000 subscribers. And then as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, get yourself a t-shirt, support us that way. But let's get right into this here. We had Jeff Teat's glorious debut, his glorious PLL debut coming up. I was excited. I had my 165-inch screen outside ready to watch this game. I watched the first half. Uh, before the it had gotten fully dark, and then I uh, watched a movie with the wife and kids, and then I came back and by myself in the middle of the night with wild dogs howling all around me, I finished and watched the uh, second half of that game on the big screen in the pitch black. So it was it ended up being cool, but Teat's debut specifically that we were like lacrosse Twitter was going bonkers over Teat's debut, very uh, anticlimactic, I would say. Uh, I was wondering if if the rust he hadn't played a lacrosse. I think I heard uh, who was it Barstool Jordy somebody. I think it was the the um, uh, the crease dive podcast. They had talked about uh, four hundred and fifty days. Maybe it was an inside lacrosse podcast. Four hundred and fifty two days or something crazy like that. That T hadn't played in an organized game of this sort. He ended up being rusty for sure. He had a bunch of turnovers, two assists on the day, and one of them wasn't actually an assist. He actually fed the crease. It missed the guy, bounced, one-hopped, I think, who was it, to um, uh, Fercaro uh, or something like that. And uh, he ended up scoring a goal, so that was good for him. But uh, it was Caraway, I think maybe it was, who caught that pass. But uh, yeah, Teed overall, Rusty, that's going to be fine. He's going to play well into what the Atlas does with the other players that the Atlas have on this roster. Him dodging from that right wing into the middle of the field is going to be big for them. Him kind of just lazily bringing the ball up from X to the wing or to goal line extended, hitting, hitting you know, feeding people. The, the dude can score goals. He can uh, uh, help feed. He's just a creator of offense overall. And he's actually adept at carrying over carry. If you needed uh, someone to dodge and re-dodge and try to really break down a defender, trying to draw that first slide where you end up getting desperate to create offense, he'll fit in nicely. All of us Teat fans were hoping, you know, three goals, two helpers, something like that, or maybe two and three if you wanted to flip it. But we got two assists, and that was it. He almost had a goal. There was actually a pretty nice save. He kind of stick to sticked it a little bit. And uh, just a couple of those turnovers, nothing concerning. Just got to get the rust off here, and he'll be okay. Another thing I want to talk about is Matt Rambo's subtle savagery. And like, what I mean by subtle savagery is I think most, if not a lot of people, would put him up as the best player in the game right now. I think a lot of guys lean into Schreiber, and there's good reasons for that. And there's other guys, I think, that are, that are part of this, this uh, conversation here now. The kicker with Rambo, he puts up points in the clutch as well as anybody. 
He's patient. He takes care of the ball. He dodges with anger. He puts shots on cage. Like in the end, what's not to like about his game? The one thing he's been doing over and over and over again since he's been in the PLL is that dodge from the wing with his left hand into into the middle of the field. And it, that's where the patience comes into play. If he gets that step, he's going to shoot, and often he's going to score. If he doesn't get the step, he'll roll back and bang it, uh, bang it back to somebody else. That double team that Rex rode, had on him that caused that turnover. That was an incredible double team because that's kind of a scouting double team. You see Rambo go into that beast mode where he's now going to put his shoulder down and you know he's trying to score the game winner. And what what's he going to do on the backside there? He, he comes from behind as Rambo's dodging in the middle of the field gets just timed it perfectly because they they did bottle up the middle of the field. Rambo went to roll back and Rex road was right there to beat him up. And then Jay Carlson's hustle play after that to force the turnover on the the ensuing clear literally Rex Road takes the ball away I forget who picked it up was it Sexton I can't remember somebody picked it up and then legitimately Carlson just comes in behind and just puts that left-handed puts that stick right between uh the the defender's body and his stick and then just uses that torque to pop that ball out that was incredible and Jay Carlson man the, the I think the whip's biggest strength is that their role players know their roles. And a dude like Jay, and everyone literally just does their job. It's straight up very Patriot-esque of the, of the entire Whips roster here. I mean, you have, you have Rambo as the, ob, the, the obvious alpha. You have a guy like Zed Williams who comes in and just tears it up and ends up, what, he was the MVP, I think, last year. Uh, and and just but he wasn't their best player he was just that the guy that did the best job of playing his role throughout the season last year and he's already kind of doing his thing again this year but for Carlson who he just he picks up ground balls where they're available he hustles on rides and then he scores a boatload of off ball and garbage goals the dude is is excellent and I, I enjoy I've, I've become a huge fan of his before even not really knowing overall who he even was but uh, since uh, the, the PLL has been rocking and Carlson's been doing his thing, I've become a big fan of his. Um, Rambo deciding to attack. The, the, the key part of that dodge at the end of the game was once Carlson forced that turnover, they get the ball back. Williams immediately gives the ball to Rambo. And as Williams and his guy are kind of heading back to the middle of the field, heading back to the crease, Rambo decides to go immediately. Let's not wait for the defense to get set back up, especially in overtime. We got the ball back. Let's catch them off guard. And he said that in the post game that he saw he was going to be able to go with no help. And once again, two, you know, two handed dodge bull dodge right to the middle of the field got his hands free after you know that initial little bump off of uh, his defender I think it was Rex Road that was guarding him at the end there and uh, puts a bouncer five hole uh in to win the game so a hell of a job by Rambo overall a hell of a job by the whips battling back the Atlas had gotten a lead a little bit early and uh and and the whips just continued to battle back get back into the game they took like a three goal lead the Atlas bounced back and and tied things up and uh just just a great game overall a great game on a Friday night to watch even if the wild dogs were barking in my backyard and I was out there by myself with nothing but a knife a really nice knife that I got for Father's Day but nothing but a knife on me so I packed my shit up after the game was just ending as the dog started going nuts I packed that shit up and I got the hell out of Dodge um for the Atlas another guy I just like to talk about because I've become a huge fan of his is Eric Law he continues to be one of the best premier utility guys in the sport scores goals wherever the defense is willing to give him just an inch sneaky around the crease picks up garbage and puts it in the proper receptacle you know the dude is just he's just a a really tough lacrosse player and he just once again fills a role and then just continually does his job 
day in and day out. Every goal's big, but his three singles in this game were huge for the Atlas overall. And then Jake Carraway for the Atlas, another bright spot. They lose the game here, but Carraway, he's starting to become a formidable scorer after zero points off just two shots, and he put up three turnovers in his first outing against the Archers. He goes for five points off three singles and a deuce against the Redwoods, and then he goes for five points against the Whips with two singles and a deuce and an assist against the whips in this loss. He is a spot. He's a spot shooting. Well, he's taken shorties to the rack. I think he beat Matt Abbott uh, going to the cage early on in this game. He's got the tucked, the tucked caraway thing going. Um, Diggs tape has been rocking the, the tucked caraway name lately. So he's definitely tucked caraway. And I hate that tucked look, please guys stop doing the tucked look. Uh, but who the hell am I to tell you guys what to do? So uh, overall, great game, great game for a Friday night. And then, uh, we had to rinse and repeat here and do it all again on Saturday. Saturday kicked off with the Redwoods and the chaos and Mac O'Keefe sniping the game winner warmed my heart quite a bit. He hits a two-pointer from out top with his patented Mac O'Keefe weird release. Like he's just got a very short release despite the fact he places the ball perfectly and can put some some smoke on it. But I've been saying since, uh, since his breakout season two years ago, well, it's kind of three almost now, uh, for Penn State, I, I had been saying he isn't just the best off-ball player in college across while he was still playing college across. I'd been saying he's the best, one of one of the best off-ball players in all of the sport of lacrosse. And it's nice seeing him, you know, rookies like him. And so it's not even just him, but it's the rookies kind of find, finding ways to get on the field and contribute because he's coming off the bench as a midfielder right now, working a lot of two-man game. And that, that's just a good place to put him. He's excellent at the two-man game, pinch pop, pinch release, duck under, you know, just finds ways to get open, and all he needs to be is open for a second or two. And uh, once his hands are free, his release is filthy, and he's going to score goals. It's a great storyline overall, though. I liked that early BTB by Charlie Bertrand. That was sick. And I love how seeing, you know, that that lost COVID year played for some of these transfers in D2 and D3 where they moved up from D2 or D3 to D1. Now, Bertrand, I believe, got drafted based off of his prowess, prowess as a D2 lacrosse player. I don't think what he did at UVA played in at all. I think he got drafted before he really played at UVA uh, technically. But he, he, he filled a very solid role for UVA here in the national championship run that they just had again. But I, like I said, his D2 career is what got him drafted. So it's nice seeing him, though, being that opportunistic guy that he was for UVA, now carrying that over and doing that in the PLL. And that's all that, that – I think that's what he'll do. I think he'll have a decent career as a pro just being a – opportunistic scorer. He can dodge where needed. He can play off ball. He can stick BTBs. So he's got the flash and the, the, the basic tool set needed to be a good pro for quite a while. Cloutier though, comes right back after, after Bertrand scored that BTB and he scores a backhanded goal from the heart of the crease. That was also pretty filthy. And what I liked to that, it, it was the epitome of the, you, you hear a lot of times guys say, listen, they, they increased their angle by shooting that behind the back. That was the only way they could have scored that goal, where often a twister is going to give you the same angle as the behind the back is. So it's not always necessary to go behind the back. In this case, with the clock running down, I think it was the shot clock that was running down on uh, Cloutier there. He, he catches the ball on the high crease, goes to kind of turn to shoot, sees he's got double help coming right into his face, and he simply turns around and backhanded it, left-handed actually, from distance. I'd say it was anywhere, you know, somewhere from nine to ten yards or so away, so that was a pretty cool backhand. And that really was the only way he would have been able to score that shot. 
Uh, chaos. Watching this game overall here, the chaos, you know, despite the fact they win 11 9, uh, they make offense look really hard. And I, I was trying to figure out throughout the game what what was it like I've watched him play twice now and in both games that I watched him play they score goals and they often score goals in very flashy manners they'll score some sweet crease dive goals and some sweet getting ducking underneath and diving across the crease and BTBs and backhands like you see but the I think what the problem is is they lack they have a lot of guys that are great finishers a lot of guys that can score the rock they lack legitimate dodgers and we saw it last that last year they didn't gel well in that offensive scheme and they end up getting rid of Connor Fields ends up not playing. It's like one of the best Dodgers and creators of offense that, th that the sport has ever seen, at least at the college level, didn't even get on the field for these guys down the stretch as they actually started winning and making their run uh, in, in the playoffs. But I think even then, I think the problem is, is their offense, maybe this with their offensive scheme, putting a bunch of, you know, I don't want to call them off ball guys. That's not fair. It's just they don't have that true quarterback or those true guys that are that are primarily uh, goal scorers or creators of offense off the dodge. They have a lot of utility guys all over, guys that can score sick goals, guys that can score in a pinch, guys that can shoot from downtown. They just don't have that guy that can beat his defender consistently every single time. I, I feel like it, a lot of times watching him play offense is a little bit like watching someone get their teeth pulled, um, except it's glorious once it's over and you see the the outcome was successful. And that's the case here, but it, 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 they do make offense look hard up to the point that they score the rock, but getting to that point where they have an open guy ready to shoot uh, so far, it's been fairly painful. I think they'll work it out though. They worked it out last year as, as the game, as the season went on. So maybe they'll work it out again. Rob Pinnell uh, wasn't great. He was not great in this loss. Um, for the Redwoods, he put up a very nice goal. I think I think this is the game where he had that nice backhanded goal up the left side, and then he had that feed to Bertrand, the BTB that Bertrand stuck. But he also took eight shots with just the one goal. He turned the ball over six times with just two helpers overall. So he's going to have to be better. Now I will caveat that that with the fact I watched the game, and while watching the game, I didn't think to myself not once, oh man, Pennell's really stinking it up today. It wasn't until I kind of hit the box score, and then the box score doesn't always tell the whole picture. So I know at least one of his turnovers was him being doubled at X as time was winding down on a quarter. I presume there's probably another one or two turnovers that were caused by him just trying to force the ball as shot clocks are expiring and things of that sort. So that might have played into it, but it's something to watch because he's got 10 turnovers over the course of the last two games, uh, uh, six in yesterday's game and then uh, four in their prior game. Both of those games, Redwoods losses. So that's something to watch. Uh, Newman and Ray, they each forced three turnovers for the chaos, which was badly needed because like I said, they're struggling to get things going offensively in, in regular six on six sets. So, you know, forcing turnovers, getting the ball up the field, more importantly, just taking the ball away from the opposing team and giving it back to your team. That was key for those guys. I think Ray also put up three ground balls in the, in the win. And then Blaze Reardon, he goes for uh, 14 saves, 61% save percentage for Reardon, uh, which also helped key them in that win. Side note. TD Erlin, he wins 17 to 22 faceoffs for the Woods. So the Chaos managed to win this game despite a terrible disadvantage in terms of possessions off draws, at least. And I think in 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 the PLL more than any anywhere, I think that 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 shorter shot clock kind of that that effect doesn't play quite as much. But the fact that they dominated the faceoff X and TD did not turn the ball over uh, while winning these draws. 
that's a big deal, and and that says a lot about the chaos. It says a lot about maybe the chaos offensively will eventually put it together. Defensively, though, they look good, and they've been a little bit shaky defensively um, over the over their first couple of games. The next game, it was the nightcap, another eight o'clock game last night. Water dogs and archers, and not much, not much to say in this one. Almost nothing went well for the water dogs in this one. Grant Amat for the archers, he goes off for a goal and six helpers. Will, or maybe it was a goal and five helpers, I think is what he had. Will Manny, three goals and two assists. Uh, Holman and Schreiber, four points each. Defensively for the Archers, uh, uh, Graham Hossack, uh, he forced three turnovers and had picked up three ground balls. Stephen Kelly won 14 to 25 faceoffs for the Archers. I mean, you could just see it was just the Archers all the way. Even Adam Gittleman outplayed a very solid Dylan Ward in cage, he goes 53% versus Ward's 46%. So the Archers kind of won the day outright. All around a terrible outing for the Water Dogs. 17-8 is the score for the Archers. I don't even know if I mentioned the score in the other games. That Mac O'Keefe game winner for the Chaos, like I said, it was a two-point game. It was tied up nines. Tied up at nines, I think, what, about halfway through the fourth quarter when O'Keefe stuck that that two-point goal, which was the game winner. 11-9 to nine is that one. And then in that first game Friday night, the Whips win in OT. Did I even mention that Rambo's goal was an overtime here? Uh, that double team that, that turned the ball over and then that Carlson turnover on the ride that gave the ball back to the Whips. All that went down in overtime. Uh, the Whips win that one 12 to 11. 12 to 11. And then we have Sunday's games. We've got games today still for the PLL. Cannons are one and two. They're going to play the Atlas, who are also one and two. This one, I think, should be interesting. You're dealing with two middling teams here. Both teams sitting at one and two. Both have played well in losses other than the Atlas getting trounced by the Archers. That one was ugly. Uh, that whacked out Atlas game there, that kind of screwed up their their differential in terms of these two their scoring differential. So I think overall, this is a pretty good matchup. I'm going to pick the Cannons to win this one, though. Overall, I think the Cannons are just going to be a better offensive team than the Atlas at this stage. Chrome 0-2 versus the Whipsnakes 3-0, and and this one should feature probably, I'd say, the Whips by six to nine goals overall by the end of the game at least. The Whips, they don't beat teams up. They're not that team that's going to go out and wax everybody week in and week out, but they're going to win the games that they should win for the most part. Uh, the Chrome have given up 14 goals in each of their first two games, and one of them was against the Water Dogs who struggle. So I expect they're going to give up 14 goals again to the Whips. 14-9 or so, 14-8 will probably end up being the score in this one. Could be 15-7 to if things get a little unruly. So we'll see. But I'm picking the Whips by a margin in this one. Now we got some random news, and this is where the transfer portal, we're back to college news here now. Two teams that I've been watching closely here, uh, and it's pretty easy to do thanks to Lacrosse Bucket and uh, Fan Lax and those those places that are kind of keeping track of where these transfers are going in the offseason, which is a, a mad mind-numbing thing to do here at this stage. Um, but either way, Rutgers. Rutgers and Villanova so far are the big winners in the early transfer game. Rutgers specifically. Rutgers picked up Mitch Bartolo, who is a very quality midfielder out of Penn, and Brian Cameron, who's a tough-as-nails attackman, but he can play mid-attack wherever you need to work him in from UNC. That's a big pickup, the Cameron pickup. Toss in Toby Bergdorf, senior goalie from Providence. Sam uh, Stefan, faceoff guy from the Mount. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, Rutgers is making some early noise in the transfer portal by simply adding quality in terms of Bartolo and Cameron. That those are that's literally two dudes that are going to walk onto campus and factor immediately. I presume both of them will most likely start as well. And then. Um, 
uh, who else here? We got uh, Rutgers also picked up a, d- a defenseman from Salisbury, Brad Apgar as well. So, you know, Rutgers is adding depth and adding quality already in the transfer portal. And then Villanova is another team. Villanova mostly because Villanova picks up J.P. Basile from Duke, and Basile is a solid lacrosse player. I mean, listen, this guy, you would have put him on attack on most teams in the country, and he would start, and he struggled to get burned. Duke got him burned because he's too good to just let him waste away his talent on the bench, but Duke was so deep that Basile didn't see a ton of, of action over the course of his career, but make no mistake here. He's going to walk onto Villanova's uh, on, on the campus at Villanova, and he is going to be one of their best players, I personally believe, right off the bat. I think you're going to plug him in at attack. I think he's going to contribute right away. He could potentially be their leading scorer, but I'd, I'd say that there's a very good chance he ends up being one of their top three leading scorers. And then uh, 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 Brett Baskin from Hopkins is no chump either. So you add two guys for Villanova that will be able to contribute immediately. And uh, and then who else they get? Luke Keating, senior attack from Franklin and Marshall, who will probably step onto campus and contribute. Picture kind of a Bertrand situation. He might not come onto campus and, and be their best guy, but he will probably get burned, uh, you know, either as a midfielder or as an attackman, depending on on the situation. So I think this guy's going to factor right away as well. So we've got PLL games today here. What else did we have happen? Uh, um, we had um, the two guys that got in a fight. Uh, um, I'm just drawing a blank totally here on their names in this, in this moment here. Let's look it up here, but they both ended up getting uh, suspended. It was, let's see. I don't know why I'm drawing blanks because I've taught Austin Stotts and who else? Come on. What's the, the, the douche there that I'm not a big fan of. Oh, Gaudet. Uh, uh, yeah. Gaudet and Stouts. Stouts. Matt Gaudet and Austin Stats both had their PLL contracts terminated, announced the league Tuesday afternoon, meaning that the pair are currently not members of a team or a player pool and as a result not eligible to play in the league at this time. So I don't think you're going to see those guys back this year. Gaudet, his, he, he, he became loved by some and hated by more than some. Uh, right off the bat, his very first game where he acted like a huge douchebag that entire game, a douche nozzle, as we would say. I was still a Gaudet fan. I'm, I'm still a Gaudet of, of, uh, a fan of Gaudet as a player. I lo- off ball, he's just incredible. I liked his energy at the college level. Didn't realize he was a chirper, and that just seemed like a dude saying, hey, everybody, look at me. So that annoyed the shit out of me. So to see him get his finger bit off, that's not cool. I don't wish that upon anyone, but I was semi-pleased to see him get the business handed to him uh, the, the game after he was a dickhead uh, to, to start his career off in the PLL. But yeah, those guys are done. They're not playing lacrosse anymore here. We haven't heard anything else out of the Syracuse camp. No more crazy news. Uh, no news of Petro's kids and what they plan to do. Are they going to decommit from North Carolina and head over to Syracuse? I haven't seen anything on that. Like I said over and over again, though, I, I have heard from my sources around the Syracuse program that it is pretty much a done deal and that we will see the Petro uh, children running around for Syracuse wearing orange instead of Carolina blue. Uh, they, you know, I figured they were going to go to Hopkins and wear black and Carolina blue. They end up at UNC to wear Carolina blue. And hopefully now we got them in orange and Navy blue, but we'll see how that goes. But that's it. I'm going to get back into the flow of things here. After I got out of vacation, had a lot of work to catch up on work has been super busy. So I have not been consistent in getting shows out, but I am going to try to get back to a Sunday, Thursday schedule, just like we did through the college uh, season. And, and maybe I'm, I'm even toying with maybe making Thursday 
Thursday show an audio only show just because what are we going to have to show and all that crap. So we'll see how it goes. But either way, thank you for listening. I will be back Thursday one way or another. It will be on YouTube here and we'll talk. We'll do some previews for the PLL. We'll talk more, a little bit more. I want to talk about the rookies in the PLL and how those guys have fared. So I think that's going to be the deal. And I think if you're an audio listener, definitely hit YouTube up because as I struggled to fill 30 minutes of time, here for for the YouTube show. I may end up putting a lot more short YouTube content up because it'll be easier to say, hey, look at this guy in the PL, PLL, show a couple highlights, break things down and talk about them. So we might see a little bit more YouTube style content, uh, six to 10 minute videos that we pop up. And that may be what we do on Thursdays instead of a full blown kind of podcast where we recap the games that we had already watched and all that stuff. So be sure if you're a listener only, head to YouTube, subscribe, pop in there every once in a while. And uh, there might be some content that gets uploaded to YouTube that we don't put out as an audio-only show. So that's it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I will be back Thursday morning, and Hoost is out. Mm -hmm.